So it's Luke 18. And we'll look at verse 18. So it's Luke 18, verse 18. So Luke 18 and verse 18 to, 30, uh, to, to 28, I think. And we're going to be looking at the story of a, um, a rich man who came to Jesus one day and asked him about the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at that together. So a certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible for man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So this morning I want us to take the theme of um, possessed by possessions. And here we have a story of uh, a man who comes to Jesus. Probably, we'll see, he's probably a very good man. And he came to Jesus and asked about what must I do to have eternal life. This was a good man, a wealthy man. He seemed to have everything that was going for him. And yet he still felt that he probably lacked something. And in Jesus, he was probably saw something that he didn't have. It was more to life than just what he had. And so this man then says, what should I do? I mean, he was showing himself up amongst all of his people of other prestige and power and uh, asking and making himself vulnerable, saying to Jesus, hey, maybe there's something more to life. What should I do about this eternal life? And um, so as we look at this story, this is really a story about who or what has your heart? On face value, it's a, it's a man who's very wealthy, and then Jesus said that rich people don't get into heaven, you should sell all that you've got. And he says, no, I can't. And then Jesus said, well, very difficult for rich people to get into heaven. And at face value, that would be the, sort of the gist of the story. But the main sort of underlying theme, or the um, principle, or the root, or the main thing that we can take from uh, this story at the very outset, and I'll say at the beginning, because it will underline everything that we're going to look at, this morning in the next few moments is this, who or what has your heart this morning? Well, who has your heart or what has your heart? Where is your heart this morning? And this is basically what Jesus was asking this man. Um, You know, we can have money, we can have possessions, we can have things. Um, That's not wrong. 
In actual fact, uh, being a Christian, you, you can have things. We've, we've got things with stuff. There's life. I talk about having stuff and more stuff. And we're encouraged by TV ads to buy more stuff and get more stuff. Um, but things, possessions, finance, money, it, it's not necessarily wrong per se just to have stuff. It's the, the key to our lives isn't that we've got money, but does money have us? Have you money? Or not much money, maybe. But does the money have you? Do you have stuff or does stuff have you? Do you have possessions or do those things possess us? Are we so taken up with life that they've got my heart, they've got my life? And um, this is what Jesus is basically looking at with this man all those 2,000 years ago. And before you say to yourself, not me, that's him. Cool, look at him. Just stop for a second. Take a moment. Step back for a second in this few moments that we've got this morning and just reflect about my life and your own life and our life, the world in which we live today. Well, we're going to look at that in the next few moments. So there is this man that comes to um, Jesus. He's a good person, probably. I say, do you know why I say he's probably a good person? Because Jesus, when, when asked, you know, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Uh, 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 and Jesus then gives him a number of the commandments. A, a good Jew would, and this was a Jew coming to another good Jew, Jesus, and asking, what must I do? And um, so Jesus then gives him the commandments, which this good Jew, any God-fearing person would understand. He talks about, you know, not committing adultery, not committing murder, you should not steal, not stealing, not giving false testimony, honoring your father and mother. And so Jesus sort of gives this to him. And and this man says to him, all those things I've done since a boy, since childhood. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's a this is pretty incredible. I know we, in hindsight, we can look back now and think, oh, he's not just doing good things and living a good life, you know. But before we start throwing any stones, let's just be careful that we don't live in a glass house ourselves. This man coming to Jesus was probably a good man. Perhaps he was a God-fearing man. I know that we're going to find out some other things about him because none of us are perfect. But this man comes to Jesus and... Although he's got a lot of things in his life, he says, you know, from, from, from a boy, from a child. You know, today we say about our children, you know, growing up in, in, in church life, that many, many things, that are distractions that can come our way. And, um, and so, the, and, you know, and to go from being a child in church, as it were, and, and growing up as a teenager and going to school and going to uni and doing this and going into the world and job... There's many distractions that come away. Well, I know this man might not have had the same amount of distractions, but from a child now to a young man, there was something in his heart whereby he still feared God to some degree. So it's just pretty amazing in some ways. It doesn't sort of come out in the story completely, but that's the sort of impression I get from this guy. I don't just look at him and say, oh, there he is, just renying on his possessions. He was just possessed by possessions. I think there was a lot more to this man. I can identify perhaps at times with this man because I'm only human. You're only human after all. We might live great lives. And so this man comes up to him and says, what must I do? And so Jesus gives him all of the commands and the man says, I've kept those from a child. And then Jesus is more than a man because he's the son of God, isn't he? And he can read and see the heart, the human heart. It's not what's on the outside They say, don't judge a book by its cover, but uh, God looks at the heart. 
And um, God isn't swayed by us on the outside and how good we are and what we do. But he says, ah, but, says Jesus, there's one other thing. He then says to him, sell all your money. Give away all your money. Give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. See, and then this man says to him, says he was very wealthy and became very sad. <laughs> this was a good person. This man was a good person that relied on his prestige, his possessions, and power. He was a good man. He kept many of the commandments. He did many of the good things. But Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is it's, it's the human heart. All those good things that he'd done, no matter how wonderful he appeared, this man, no matter how good he was, and he was probably a good guy. I think deep down there's probably a lot of good in this person. It wasn't all bad, you know. And uh, even in the midst of all of that, Jesus looks and gets to the heart. The, the, the problem of the heart is, is a problem with the human heart. And that's really, at the end of the day, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. It's the human heart. And uh, he really asked a question. In, in sharing with him, give away your money, he gets to the heart of the problem. For this man, his money, he had money and a lot of it, but his money had him. That was the difference. And Jesus found that out straight away. Well, he knew that straight away. He saw that. And um, you notice that Jesus, in reflecting the commandments back to this man, he left out the two chief commands, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting, isn't it? And in one fell swoop, Jesus comes in a roundabout way and talks about the material things that had his heart. You see, God didn't have his heart. He did all these great things and lived generally a good life. But money had his heart, not God. He says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So you say to yourself, what? You can imagine everybody. And then Jesus goes on to talk about how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom. It's like putting a camel through the eye of a needle. Impossibility. It's almost, it is an impossibility. And then the disciples and people are saying, well, how can anyone get to heaven then? Because in Jewish culture, to be blessed was to be wealthy. And there is some teaching in Christian culture in certain parts of the world. If you're wealthy, you're blessed. But Jesus turns everything on its head. He turns it all upside down. So we ask ourselves a question. Is it wrong to have things? Is it wrong to have possessions? Is it wrong to have money? You know, is it? Is it wrong? Now, it's really interesting. We haven't got time this morning. But um, in the Old Testament, a man called Abraham, who the Bible says it is accredited to him as righteousness because he believed God, even though he didn't see something happen. He still believed and trusted God. Abraham was, was like the father of faith, basically. And yet he was one of the wealthiest men that lived on the face of the planet. He had many, many great possessions. A man called Solomon, who was a king many, many thousands of years later, said to God, give me wisdom. And God was so impressed that Solomon's heart was for wisdom, he made him the wealthiest, most powerful king at the time in the then-known Eastern world. 
really interesting. If you come into the New Testament, uh, we haven't got time to go into it completely, but you'll find in a story in maybe a few weeks' time in Luke's Gospel that Jesus is walking along the road and a tax collector called Zacchaeus is up a tree and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. So have a bite to eat. And Zacchaeus is so impressed by Jesus, he says, I'll give my money. I'll give as much as I can to the people who I've swindled and I'll give them even more. But Jesus didn't say to him, he said, well done, Zacchaeus. But Jesus didn't say to him, as God didn't say to Abraham, as God didn't say to Solomon, you need to give it all away. And Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus, it's interesting, you need to give it all away. wonder why that is. And yet to this man, the rich man, he says, sell everything. Give it all to the poor. Really interesting when you look. Now, I haven't I've got the time to, to build up that case, but that's the gist. You'll see that again and again. It, it's as if this, that, that Jesus deals with every person on the point of their heart. He knows our need. He knows what's in our heart. So it's not necessarily, if you, if you take it in, in, a, in a whole balance, it's not money. Things aren't necessarily wrong in themselves. The thing that is the challenge and the thing that is wrong is the love of money. We find in 1 Timothy, so it's not wrong to have money, it does money have you. It's not wrong to have possessions, does, do possessions have you? Because Abraham had possessions, but possessions didn't have him. He followed God with all his heart. Solomon initially, I say initially because he went wrong near the end of his life, but initially Solomon wanted to follow God, and God gave him everything. He gave him all the sorts of possessions you could ever imagine. And it was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had everything. He gave a large sum of it away, but still had probably quite a lot to live on. So, I mean, yet to, to the rich man, Jesus says, give it all away. So, what is, what is it then that is the key? Well, the, as I said, and I've been saying again and again and again, the key here is, it's not the money that is wrong. It does the money or the material or the things not that we have money, but does money have us? Do possessions have us? So, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, it's not going to come up on the screen, but you might want to make a note of it. We read this. Paul says this to Timothy, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy 6, 10. The love of money. It's not the money, it's the love of it and the fact that it has us. Who has your heart? What has your heart? Who has your heart? Interesting, 1 Timothy 6.10. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people misquote that and say the money. It's not money. It's the love. It's what has your heart. Um, Again, Paul, probably Paul, writing in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Building up a picture in the New Testament. Paul says this, keep your lives, Hebrews 13, verse 5, again, not coming up on the screen, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Just say that to yourself. Don't have to say it out loud. I'm not asking you to do that. But it says, keep your lives free from the love of money. In other words, don't let things, don't let the material, don't let money have your heart. 
It's not wrong. These things are not wrong in themselves. But don't let them possess your heart. Now, you can say, well, it's all right for the rich man, you know. I could, I, I, you know, I don't have that much money. It's all right for you, Adrian. You don't know what I'm struggling with. And you're absolutely right. I don't know where you struggle. But I want to just sort of take, just wind it back a little bit and just look at life today. We live in what's called a consumer society. The world in which we live is based and works. They say, there's a, what they sometimes say, money makes the world go round. Not, not necessarily believe in that, whether you believe in that or don't. But we live in a society that's called, the Western world is consumer-based whether you like it or not, no matter if you want to decide that you're going to go and, you know, live in a tent, you know, um, somewhere in the Highlands or Scotland or wherever it might be you want to go to and escape everything, um, at the end of the day, society in general, the Western society, is based on consumerism. I mean, basically, it's like this. Um, we earn to spend. Um, the government say that we will want to create Wealth. We have a plan to create wealth. That wealth creation is so that we can spend, so that we can make more things, buy more things, spend on those things. It goes in a big round cycle. That's the idea. That's the gist of it. I'm not saying whether I'm against or for that. You can decide what you want to do. I'm just stating in basic, simplistic language, and you might say it's a bit of a simpleton this morning, perhaps, being a bit simple, but hey, Basically, consumerism, and that's the society that we're part of, it's based on you earn, we create wealth so that we can buy, we buy things. Not only do we buy the food that we need to live on and and the home that we live in, but we have nice things. We treat ourselves to things, items, products, things, stuff. What I would call stuff, right? And so we earn, spend, consume. Earn, spend, consume. People are telling us we can't keep consuming because we'll consume everything on the planet. Hence, we've got to look after the planet. So there's this whole stuff going on. Um, But that's the society, the world in which we live. That's That's the age and era in which we live. And we're part of that. And we're in that. And that atmosphere. And so, so governments will say, to get ourselves out of a recession, we don't want... So some people will say... we. Austerity. We need to cut back on austerity. Spend more. Because if we spend more, we'll be able to buy more. If we buy more, more things will be produced. There'll be more jobs. There's sort of a, there is a sort of a, a fiscal logic in that somehow, but it, it sort of makes you think. That's, if that's what it's about, consume, spend, buy, have. And so and in, in a basic nutshell, that consumer society, which is what we're now part of in the Western world, and the world is gearing up towards and more and more, people call it the treadmill. That type of society, it basically, at the end of the day, feeds self-indulgence. It feeds me. At the end of the day, it feeds me. It's, it's a consumer. It's consumer. It, I, I, well, I'm a consumer. <laughs> people will come and ask your opinion. The, they ask the consumer. Um. Now, we need to buy things. We need to, there are things we live life. And Jesus said, look, your father knows what you need. Give us this, pray this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So God knows that we need things. So it's not wrong to have things. I've, I've set that case out already. Jesus even talks about that. But the road of consumerism, the path of consumerism, and the path that we're on 
is ultimately unsustainable. People say that. And it feeds me. Feed me. Feed me now. It's that type of consumer culture. That's what it does at the end of the day. At the end of the day, consumerism and that type of... And so that's why in the Western world, in the Western world, it's not by surprise people are saying that the church, compared to what they used to be termed the third world, which is now the first world spiritually, but in the Western world, the church is at such a low ebb spiritually because consumerism feeds self and it pushes us, it pushes out God. So we become self-centered rather than being God-centered. Who has your heart? You see, consumerism, things take up my life, my time, and my heart. Stuff. It's not wrong to have stuff, but does it have you? And this is what we live in. This is the society. I take a few minutes to talk about it, because whether you like it or not, unbeknown to you and I, it makes inroads into our hearts and minds. It's like anesthetic. You go for an operation... When I went for a minor operation, I was just in for that day and out the same day. I went the second time round. I knew what was coming. If you've ever had an op, you know what's coming. I knew what was coming. The anaesthetist said, Mr. Mazzini, okay. We had pre-op and all that business. And I'm sitting there chatting away. Next thing, I'm in recovery. I'm waking up. I think, where did that come from? It's incredible. And we live in the anaesthetic of consumerism. (laughs) You can say what you like. You can point the finger at this rich man. We can say, look at him. But God says, look at you. Look at me, Adrian. Who has your heart? Who has your heart? So it's not wrong to have money, but does money have us? And so we've got something in the atmosphere of the age in which we live that we just need to be aware of. And there's something we can do about it. And we're going to close and just look at that. What can we do about it in a minute? So when he, um, when he heard this, that, you know, the man became very sad. Give your money to the poor. Now, Jesus was very, quite radical with this man, although to Zacchaeus, he was okay for Zacchaeus to keep some of his money because Zacchaeus' money didn't have him. He was giving some of it. Do you see the difference? Jesus looks at who or what has our hearts. God looks at who or what has our hearts. might not be money. It could be another person. It it might be your opinion. Some people are so opinionated because their opinion has got their heart. Be careful. Who or what has your heart? The group Delirious, um, 93, Martin Smith penned uh, a well-known song and chorus. Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours. Jesus, take my life and lead me on. 93, it's a a good few years ago now, and it's one of those songs that's become something something we know, and it's been sung a lot of times. It goes on to say, Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours. Let me be to you a sacrifice great. They went on to be an amazing Christian group of young men who took the message around the world. But what a heart Martin Smith had. Lord, you have my heart and I will search for yours. And that's what Jesus was asking the rich man. The man who had everything, but everything had his heart. You can have many things, but we hold them lightly. This is what Jesus said, hold on to God. Be God-centered, not stuff-centered, not money-centered, not me-centered. So, what can we do? And with this, we'll close. So Jesus says, you know, it's very difficult. It's impossible. It, for the rich, when the sad man walked away, he didn't return. Jesus didn't run after him and say, well, you know. He really challenged him. And he said, it's impossible. 
It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And then everybody went, well, no hope for anyone then. And so, but Jesus then says this, what's impossible for you, for human beings, is possible for God. And that's where we should take courage. Take courage, thirdly and finally. Take courage, because what's impossible for me and you to do on our own, God, by his spirit, all things are possible. And so Jesus then says this to the man, you know, and to the, the disciples and the people around him, all things are possible for God. You can't do it. You can't make that decision. You will find it challenging. Um, that's why Rachel, when Rachel said earlier that she felt the Holy Spirit saying, don't beat yourself up. You know, there may be things that are challenging. On our own, we can't do it. There may be addictions that hold us. There may be things in our lives that we've got to change. On your own, we sometimes feel, I can't do it. Well, take courage. What seems difficult or near impossible for you or in our circumstance, it's possible for God. And Jesus says this, take courage. Take courage, dear friend, this morning. So there's a couple of things that we can do. So Jesus said, it's, it's possible. Uh, so he says to the man, sell everything and follow me. So uh, the first thing I'd say is pray. Take courage. First of all, pray. Just come up on the screen there. You can see it. Pray this prayer. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. In the midst of the world in which we live, in the consumer culture in which I'm part of, you might think that you don't have much money. It's not a case of how much money or how little or how much you have. It's a case of what has your heart or who has your heart. So we can always say, we could always have a little bit more. I think was it John D. Rockefeller said, well, you know, whatever makes you happy, a little bit more. And he was one of the wealthiest men in the world, something like that. It's all relative, but it's what has our heart. So, so we can, first of all, take courage, pray. Pray this simple prayer. Lord, you have my heart. I want to give you my heart. The desire is to give God our hearts. If you've got things and things in our lives that we feel that have taken up my life, if there's a hurt, if there's an anger, if there's an upset, if there's an addiction, if there's anything, if there's things, and you'll know because these things come first and God is somewhere down the list. And you'll know that God doesn't have your heart. Then pray this prayer. Lord, I give you my heart. Jesus said this. The greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. The greatest command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. And then your neighbor is yourself. This is why he was saying to the man, give your money away to the poor. Well, who has your heart? Love God with all your heart and then your neighbor around you. And that's what he was saying to the man. He was, he was sharing the commandment with him. So make, first thing, take courage. Make it our prayer. Lord, I love you. Lord, every day I'm going to give you my heart. Make that the prayer of the, if, if ever there was a, I don't believe in mantras, but if ever, ever there was a mantra, make that your prayer. Lord, I give you my heart today. In the midst of the society which we live, it will stop you being anesthetized, as it were. Spiritually speaking, you will maintain a, and, and begin to stir a spiritual vibrancy, an energy, a dynamic of the spirit in our hearts and lives. Something will begin to happen. When you begin to pray, Lord, I give you my heart, an amazing thing happens. Jesus, by his grace, receives that. And something amazing happened. My heart is in his hands. My life is in the hands of God. It's not in my hands or your hands. It's not in the hands of the doctor. Or that could be in so, not in, that, in finance and things. When we have a crash in the nation and everybody runs for cover and all the banks say it's his fault or her fault, my life is in God's hands. Make that your prayer. Lord, I give you my heart. Secondly, second thing is 
follow Jesus. We've been saying it again and again. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Make the aim and desire of our hearts to live for Jesus Christ. Live for the living God. Person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said again and again, come and follow me. Follow me, he said. Follow. Go for him. You know, all of our songs that we sing, they're based about raising up the name of Jesus. Living for Jesus Christ. Not the denomination that you're used to. Not even the pastor or the teaching or the thing that you love or that God channel personality. But the only personality is Jesus Christ. Let's live for him. Let's go for God. It's amazing when you desire in your heart, I'm going to give you my heart and then I'm going to follow you. It's an intention. There has to be something. Otherwise, you will succumb to the anesthetic of the age in which we live. You will succumb. And finally... If we pray that way with our hearts, if we intentionally desire to follow Jesus Christ with our lives, then look at the third and final thing. In verse 29, he says, because the disciples were all worried about, we're doing all those things, what about us? And this is what he said in verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. We live, we're to live. We're not just looking to the future as Christians, I've got my ticket to heaven, but it's on earth right now, the kingdom of God amongst us. We may know the fruitfulness, the love, the peace, the patience, the presence, the forgiveness, the grace, the provision, the presence of God in our lives. We can receive it then if... In Cinderella, you can tell I live in a girly household, can't you? In Cinderella, the mother says to Cinderella, if, uh, you're looking at me a bit, bit perplexed, Russ, what's all that about he's thinking? It's a big if. The mother says in Cinderella, if you get your chores done, you can go to the ball. So when she does everything, she comes to the mother and says, I can go now, I can go. And she said, I said, if, and she gives her more to do. It's a big if. And so with us, it's a big if as it were, as we pray, as we follow. But then we're in a position to receive. We're in a position to receive all that God has for us today. And so Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, follow me. Who has your heart this morning? Let's pray. As we come, we want to resist the anesthetic of the age in which we live. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have a great job. It's not wrong to earn. It's not wrong to have aspirations. It's not wrong to do well. None of that's wrong. But it's who or what has our hearts. That's the key. And so Jesus then said, live for the kingdom. Give God your heart and life. Now live for the kingdom. Give to the kingdom. Give your life. Give your time. Give of your finance to the kingdom of God. This morning, Lord Jesus, we love you. We honor you. Uh, While we pray, the worship team are going to come back and we're going to sing as we close in a moment or two. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We say we thank you. You who died to pay the price and rose again. You who took it all so that I might be given all. How amazing is that? You took everything upon yourself so that I might be given everything. And so this morning you call us to live for you, to follow you to give our lives to you, to give our hearts to you. We pray, Lord, we live in a world, there's many great opportunities. We live in a great nation. We're so thankful for the freedoms that we have. There is an opportunity, perhaps, 
And so we say thank you for that. But we don't want to be possessed by things, possessions. We don't want to be um, held by money and things, but we want to be held by you. And we say thank you. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. You know what we need. And many of us and some of us have great need right now. So we just come to you with our need, but not our greed. And in that we pray, have my heart. This is my heart. Take my life. And in that, with intention, I say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to give my life and live for you and follow what the word of God says and what you say, Jesus. And then as I do that, I receive all that you've got for me. You say the kingdom. You can't be outgiven. You'll give us love, freedom, hope, forgiveness, grace, mercy, salvation. Not only to look towards in the future, but we may taste of it here on earth now. How amazing is that? So we give you our hearts and receive your love. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we close this morning. We're going to sing, Lord, you have my heart. And as we sing this together, we've prayed. Let's give him our hearts.